this episode, Katie Singer and Nisha Patel discuss the year-end information needed from practice managers, along with some pointers for good practice and how to make the accounts preparation process as smooth as possible, both at the year-end and also throughout the year. Accountancy on Prescription by RBP one of the leading firms of medical specialist accountants. We know what you find tough, but don't you worry, as we know our stuff. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Accountancy on Prescription. I'm Katie Singer, one of the partners here at RBP, and today I'm joined by my colleague and client principal, Nisha. Hi, Nisha. Hi, Katie. How are you? I'm good, and you? Yes, very well, thank you. So although we're doing this series called Understanding Practice Accounts, and this is the latest episode in that mini-series, we thought we would insert one, which really is probably more for practice managers. And it's basically just tips for practice managers, things to have ready for us to be able to prepare the accounts, things that it would be really great if we could have ahead of preparing the accounts or just general things that would be useful during the year to keep on top of everything so that information is available for us and for yourselves during the period. Because as we know, it's getting harder and harder and harder to keep on top of everything. Setting up a few systems in place is always what we recommend. And also because making tax digital is coming in, it's also a good idea to keep on top of your finances. Absolutely. And I will say, Nisha, about making tax digital is one of our partners here, Kate, she always makes the same joke that she thinks she'll retire before making tax <laughs> digital comes in. I think we first heard about making tax digital in about 2018 and it was kick back, kick back, kick back. And actually we joked when she first said it, but now it's looking more and more likely. So you and I, we don't want to throw Kate under the bus here, but we are slightly younger. But to be honest, I might start making that joke soon too, because it really does <laughs> keep getting pushed back and back and back. But what Nisha is referring to is a system whereby, similar to the American setup, individuals will have a digitalized tax system. So instead of doing, not that one does a paper tax return anymore, but instead of having you know paper records, if you like, you will do a quarterly electronic tax return by way of some kind of app or computer software program. Again, it isn't really clear for those of you, and this will be very few, but for those of you who are VAT registered, you will know you sort of do this already with your quarterly VAT returns, but individuals don't do this yet. But that's the direction we're heading in. I mean, it makes sense and it's a way of the government collecting more money in up front. But as with everything in the UK, things take longer and longer. So yeah, it will be coming in at some point. And as Nisha says, you know, to be honest, we are in 2023. Being digital and electronic for your accounting records is always going to be preferential over your old school red cash book. Although Nisha, I think we do still have some clients that do those, don't we? We do, we do. But we're trying to move most of our clients onto a cloud-based software. Yeah. So it's just easy for everyone, as in for the client and for us to view the information. Yeah. And I think I would say that is probably our first and foremost tip. Our first tip would be make sure you are using an electronic software system. So I would recommend zero every time. Zero is what we recommend for sure. And it's yeah. so easy to use. I mean, once you start using it, it's very user-friendly. Exactly. And actually, although if you just went onto zero.com now and downloaded the software yourself, especially if you're listening as a practice manager, you can do that. You would get the standard accounting codes. So they would say things like sales, cost of sales, you know, the words that are just generic accountancy words. 
However, if you subscribe to the software via us, it's a through cost. We don't charge any extra. We can input our chart of accounts, which means we have got a bespoke medical chart of accounts ready, saying things like global sum, KPI, Quaff, you know, with all the codes relevant for you and not just generic accounting terms. So I would say if you are listening now and you haven't already made the move to a cloud-based accounting software, you might be using something like Iris, which don't get me wrong, Iris is very good and was created specifically for GPs, but it hasn't quite yet made its way into the 21st century. So I would say do really consider moving to zero as a cloud-based software. Is there a good time of year to move? Doesn't really matter because you can backdate your bank entries into zero. So if you're moving in May, June, July, whenever you're listening to this, you can always backdate it to the 1st of April. So you have a full year ready to go on zero. And we do advise, you know, if they are going to join in May, we do backdate it because it's easier to have the whole financial year on one software rather than have half of it manual and half on a software. Mm. And it's just good practice as well to have a full year on a cloud-based accounting software. It just makes everything streamlined from our perspective as accountants. But from your perspectives, if you wanted to know where you were at any point of the year, if you've got everything from the start of the financial year available to you, you know, you want to know what your locum spend is today, you know, you just press a button and you can see what that is. And how often would you say, because I get asked all the time, how often would you say that individuals should be, you know, entering the data onto zero and keeping it up to date? It's really down to the individual and how busy a practice manager is. But ideally, it should be done once a fortnight, you know, and even when you know their monthly income is coming in from PCSE, it'd be a good idea to download the statements and check what income you've been paid for. So we do recommend that you view zero on a fortnightly basis. Absolutely agree with you. I would say at the very minimum monthly, even if you only did it once a month, that would be the minimum. Do not let it tick over longer than that because you'll get it in your head. Oh, I've left it now and I leave it for another month. And then we're two months behind, three months behind. And before you know it, you could be six or 12 months behind. And that's just not a position you want to be in. And it completely negates the point of the electronic software, which is to have up-to-date records available. One thing I would say is if you're not overly confident with understanding zero on a daybook basis, which is where effectively you enter invoices when they come in and not just bank transactions, just use it as you do with Iris as a cash book. Whatever money comes in the bank, you allocate. Whatever money goes out the bank, you allocate. Don't overcomplicate it for yourselves because as we go through our list, there are elements that we can add on top. It won't give you the most accurate data when you're looking at it through the year. But when we come to do our year-end accounts, we can make the necessary adjustments if you provide us the data we need if it's not already entered onto zero. And we do try and advise the clients to use it as a cash book. We we try not to have use it as a day book. Yeah. Because you get duplications of entries. Like if you have an invoice you've put on and the invoice hasn't been matched, you've got that expense showing twice. So we try heavily to focus and just use it on a cash book basis. Yeah. Obviously, if you're listening and you're a practice manager or you're a finance manager and you do have a financial background and you completely understand it, excellent. But if you don't and you think, all oh, this is a little bit overwhelming, we never want any practice managers, we know how much you've got on your plate, to feel overwhelmed, just use it as a simple cash book, get the job done from A to B and we take it from there. So that's, I say tip, but you know, really... <laughs> sounded like a marketing ploy, but really this is just, we do genuinely think it's the best route for practices to be moving to zero and it's going to be fundamental when making tax digital comes in. So whilst it's not a requirement now, it certainly will be. So you may as well get ahead of the curve and have yourself set up. 
Why don't you now run us through, Nisha, the other sort of things that are really useful to have, not just recorded on zero, but available for us when we come to prepare the practice accounts? So when we come to prepare the practice accounts, we will write to the practice manager to request information, which would normally be the PCSE statements, the income that they receive, other remittance advice. And we're finding now at the moment, like say you've got a PCSE statement for the month of May and you've got 125,000 on there, but the actual amount that you've received in the bank is 145,000. So sometimes what's happening, they're paying additional amounts on the remittance advice. Mm. So it's quite useful to have the remittance advice as well. And I find if you don't know what the income is for, there is a helpline on the remittance advice. If you call that number, they can sometimes tell you what the additional income is for, but you'd need to give the long reference number. Oh, that's really useful. I didn't know that, Nisha. Thank you. Yeah, I would say we're really lucky now as accountants, we've been given access to PCSE online. So we can actually go in and download your statements for you if you haven't been able to do it. And often I notice now, whereas you used to have one single drug statement and one single monthly statement. I've noticed now that there could be multiple statements. I'm forever getting emails saying, sorry, this income was missed off your monthly statement. You'll be getting a mid-month statement or you'll be getting it on your next month. And so I have noticed that practices are having quite a few adjustment statements that never used to occur before. So do check those. If you think, oh, these numbers don't match up, then it could be that they've given you effectively an errata statement that you can find on PCSE online. And also by viewing the PCSE statements on a monthly basis, you can see if you're missing any income, you know, for most enhanced services are paid on a quarterly basis, like minor surgery. So it's a good way of seeing if you're paid for the services that you provide. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just a good way of checking it. And again, if you're on zero, you can run a report where you can see what's been entered into each of your accounting codes every month. So as you say, use minor surgery as an example. If you're a practice that does a lot of minor surgery and you can see, oh, there's my quarter one payment in June. There's my quarter two payment in September. Hold on a minute. There's nothing in December. Let me chase it up. It could be that you forgot to claim for it. It could be that PCSE has neglected to pay you for it. But at least that way you are claiming for it then and there and not waiting for the accountancy meeting, which could be a year later. And me saying, oh, by the way, you do know you missed quarter three of your minor surgery. It just means that you're much more up to date than you have been before if you're using an electronic software. I would say as well to view the drugs reimbursement, because sometimes you might have claimed for drugs, but you're not getting paid for the drugs. So it's a good way of checking. Mm. And I think the one thing that is the biggest nightmare practice managers listening all over will be nodding is when you see your PCSE statements, obviously do download the full expanded document and see at the bottom the people being deducted for superannuation. And you might recognize names of people on there as individuals who left the practice months or even years ago. And this is becoming an ongoing issue that it's very difficult for PCSE for some reason to update leavers and joiners unless it's done in the exact correct way. So we have a walkthrough of how to do that on our website. So please do go and have a look if you're unsure. But yeah, just making sure that leavers and joiners are correctly recorded with PCSE so that you're not sitting on somebody's deductions for months and months and months. And then you've got to wait for that money to come back, which can take a very, very long time. That goes for the partners as well. So if you've had a new partner joining, please ensure that their deductions are taking place. 
Yeah, especially if it's a new partner in inverted commas, somebody who was one of your salaried GPs now becoming a partner. Their salaried rate is very likely to be much lower than what their partner profits are. And so they would need to be amended and shown as a partner and shown as a type one and not shown as a salary GP or a type two. There is a difference. And PCSE, this is where I'd say they struggle the most, unfortunately, but we do need to make sure that they're recorded correctly. The other information we normally ask practice managers for is the CQRS COAF report. So with this report, what we do, we make a provision for the achievement payment, and this is normally received in June, July time. Mm-hmm. So we account for that achievement payment in the account. So that's why we need to see the POF report. And also it helps us identify if you've met the points that you were supposed to achieve. Yeah. One thing that comes up for me the most is obviously we always run the COF report or you always run the COF report to the 31st of March because that's the COF year. Often partners will leave during the year and they've said to me on occasion, I want to make sure I'm getting my correct share of quaff because obviously, as Nisha just mentioned, the achievement figure comes through after the year end. So historically, you receive 75% of your quaff up front in your monthly payment, and then the remaining 25% comes through after the year end. And it's a sort of a little balancing up exercise between March and June to get the final figure. But if you say left the practice in September, you can run a quaff report as at the 30th of September. However, from experience and from talking to GPs and practice managers, the way that the COF is recorded and the way that the points get allocated, I believe, is slightly skewed. So I think a lot of the COF recording work, whilst it might get done during the year, a lot of the COF recording work takes place in the final quarter of the year. So it takes place January, February, March. So you could run a COF report at the 30th of September, but it could be disproportionately low. So it won't show a true reflective figure of six months of quaff, which is why generally we always say we wait for the full year's quaff to come through and then we apportion it correctly because the quaff recording is not quite the same as, you know, of course, flu, the flu service. There is no flu vaccine carried out in the summer. Of course, most of the flu service carried out at the end of the year. So if you left in September, you might say, oh, well, I shouldn't be entitled to any of that flu income. Can it be allocated away from me? Okay, fine. With the quaff, it's slightly different because of the way it's recorded. So that's just one thing to, as a PM, if the partners are talking about running quaff reports to different times of year, it won't be a true and accurate reflection. So that's just something to bear in mind with a quaff report. The other piece of information we normally ask for as well is the petty cash. And sometimes this can be done on the software, a zero, or normally we find it's it's a manual cash book of all the income that they received and all the expenses. So it's good to keep a record and we will ask for it. Yeah. And do make sure you've got a little float book or something and it's recorded somewhere. So every penny can be accounted for in and out. We understand that there will always be a handover of cash, especially private fees. If you need to pop to the shops to get a pint of milk, we don't expect businesses to go cash free. However, it is getting less and less, but do make sure you're recording it because we do need to make sure we enter that information into the practice accounts as well. And maybe just, you know, every so often just check the money in the tin agrees to what you've recorded. Yeah. Another piece of information we ask for is the monthly payroll summaries and also the list of the staff. Now, the reason why we have this information is we split the salary GPs, the nurses, any other health practitioners or any other clinical roles. We split the expenses in the accounts. So we get a comparison 
yeah, so we just do this more because we're medical specialist accountants. There's no obligation to do so. And we aren't auditors, so we aren't required to do additional payroll checks the way an auditor would. But we just do this because we like to be able to provide you with more information. And by splitting out salary doctors and nurses, healthcare assistants, pharmacists, et cetera, we can get a gauge of how many clinical sessions are being offered and we can have a feel for, are there too many? Are there not enough? The practice might say to me, I feel like I'm at breaking point. Katie and I can't carry on. And I might look at their clinical costs and see, well, no wonder you can't carry on. You've got 10,000 patients, but you're only doctoring, you're only paying for the sessions as if you had 8,000 patients. You've got the scope to be able to offer some more sessions for your patients and take that weight off of your own shoulders. Unfortunately, I don't get to have that conversation that much, but that is why we do the split. One thing as well that we're always asking for is if any of you have your ARRS staff on your payroll, it's very important for us to be able to split those individuals out because you should be receiving a reimbursement from the PCN. So of course, showing them as a cost in your accounts without showing the reimbursement separately would distort the figures and make it look like you're spending a lot more than you actually are. That follows on as well, because one of the other informations we do ask for, but we don't always get is copies of the PCN accounts. So if they have finalized their accounts, we do ask for copies because this would show us if any surplus payment is due to the practice so we can make a provision for it. Yeah. I think PCNs are probably our most contentious issue and a lot of practice managers will be silently rolling their eyes when they hear this. But, you know, it is really important for us to stress that the PCNs hold your funding in their accounts. Effectively, that £1.50 per patient that goes into the PCN is for your patients. And all of the services that are going through to the PCN is supposed to be for your patients. Now, many PCNs or many practices I speak to, they tell me, no, Katie, we're not really getting anything back from our PCN or, okay, we got a very small amount. It's all just being kept or held in the PCN. And whilst I think that's absolutely fine, if the PCN is working for you and your practice and your community, you know, all of the practices together, fine. But if you're finding that that money is just being held and you're not seeing the benefit for it, I would be looking to challenge the PCN. So often you'll find there are no separate accounts for the PCN, maybe because the PCN is held through a federation and you just don't have separate accounts, maybe because the PCN themselves aren't operating very efficiently and they just aren't preparing accounts. There is no obligation for a non-legal entity to prepare accounts. And so that's why we find so many aren't. But it is in you as a member of a PCN and all of your other PCN practices to have a set of accounts drawn up. We act for, I think, 40 plus PCNs and only a few of those are incorporated. What that means is that they have turned into a separate legal entity. 90% of the PCNs we act for, they are just a group of practices working together. We prepare a basic summary of accounts so that you know what monies are due to you and should be declared in your practice accounts. And that is really, really important. So if you're listening now and you think, goodness, we don't have any kind of PCN accounts prepared. Do get in touch with us or your accountants and find out why, because it's really important that you do have something prepared. Even if it's just a single income and expenditure report, it's integral to each member practice that they know how much surplus they've made that year. And as you stated, Casey, with the PCNs, you get paid for the ARS members. So one thing we do ask for is a list of debtors, money that is owed to the practice and a list of creditors, money you have to pay to individuals or suppliers. So we ask for this information so we can account for all the income that's due to the practice and also all the payments that are payable from the practice. 
so we get a better end of year review. Yeah. And you alluded to this when you mentioned about minor surgery, for example, being paid quarterly. So if you think the quarterly payment for January, February, March, it might be paid in April or May, it will be paid after the period. So of course, if we ran a set of accounts and we didn't include the money that came through in April and May, the numbers would be skewed. And again, the quaff that balance is always coming through to a practice in June. We have to bring it in. Same way with payments. You know, you might have had a very large locum in the month of March and you didn't pay them until, you know, May or June. We have to provide for that income. One thing that we do automatically because we're accountants, is we make sure we make a provision for tax bills if partners' tax is paid through the practice. So we make that provision for the July and January payment. And we also make a provision for the superannuation balances due over to PCSE. So this is something that as practice managers, you probably would struggle to get the exact figure. But what you can be aware of is if you know of any members of staff or partners who aren't having their pension deducted, please do bear in mind that we're going to put aside a provision in the accounts and that large balance will be taken usually in the following March. So effectively a whole year after the year end. So do keep that aside. If you think, oh, Dr. Smith hasn't had anything deducted, do just keep a surplus in your bank account. Do siphon away some money because when that balance does go, it will hit your practice account if you haven't put aside that money. So Casey, I find that sometimes the practice managers won't provide us with a list of debtors and creditors. But if the practice managers reconcile the bank every fortnight, it makes it easier for us because what we do is review all the after-date statements so we can see any additional payments that you've paid or any income that's come in, which relates to our financial year. So that's why it's really important to make sure that your bank is always reconciled. Yeah. And like I say, we've got access to your PCSE statements. So we can see the April to June after the year end statements. And usually NHS England make it quite clear if it's a current year or previous year amount, especially with the superannuation. Very often they put the year that it relates to. It will say 2019-20 adjustments. So we can very clearly see, ah, this is an after year end adjustment, but it relates to something that we've provided for in the accounts these numbers balance and they agree. And that's how we ultimately formate the accounts. And if your practice, you know, you do have trainers in your practice, that's one source of income that's always paid late. So mm. we'd always ask for a provision for trainers grant. Training grant, maternity locums and sickness locums. That's another one. Takes mm -hmm. absolutely ages to get that claim through and the money finalized from NHS England. Again, sometimes years. And the problem with that is you're obviously paying your maternity locum out at the time. So all the money has gone out in the current year and you have to wait maybe six to nine months to get the funding back in. So there can be quite a cash flow squeeze during that time. It would be nice with NHS England if there was a better system that you could claim it on a monthly basis. But from experience, it seems to be paid in two tranches, like the first 12 weeks and then the second 14 weeks, which is quite frustrating. But just bear those things in mind. If you know somebody's going to be going on maternity leave or you have members of your team going on maternity leave, do try and keep a little bit of money set aside so that you aren't in a cash flow squeeze whilst you wait for your reimbursement to trickle through. Katie, the other information that we normally ask from the practice managers is for any large items. So for example, if they've had any large repairs or renewals or any items that they think, like say, for example, if you bought computers, you know, the more description you give in zero, we could take the view of whether we need to capitalize the asset or not after that point. 
Yeah. And don't be alarmed if ever you put something through the accounts or you put some numbers onto zero and we ask you for those invoices. You know, although we don't audit, we do still have to make sure we account correctly for certain capital items, as Nisha has mentioned. And often you'll find if there's legal and professional fees through the accounts, we'll always ask you what they were for. That's because some are tax deductible and some aren't. So we have to make sure we're putting things in the correct place. So don't be alarmed if we do ask for information or additional information. If an invoice is very basic, if say a legal invoice just says for services, we will probably pry and ask a little bit more. Could you just give us a bit more information about what this legal fee was for? Nothing to be alarmed about. It's just we need to make sure we're accounting for it correctly for tax purposes. And then the last piece of information we do ask for is the profit sharing arrangement. So we like to have a split of any changes, any changes in sessions. If a partner's left, we need to know the date so we can allocate the profit accordingly. So it's good to keep a record of this. Yeah. And what I would say, and you know, it really doesn't make a huge difference to us if you want to change your profit sharing ratios frequently throughout the period. But just be aware that every single time you change your profit sharing ratio effectively, if you go up a session, down a session, bring somebody in, somebody leaves. When we prepare the accounts, we just assume all income and expenditure accrues evenly throughout the period. So we will just prorate the profits for that month, two months, three months, however it is. I think if there's a point in time where you think, oh, I'm going to work an extra session this month only for this one month, it might be slightly easier to agree with your fellow partners. During this month, I will be doing an extra session a week, which is only four extra sessions, and I will have an extra amount paid to me as a prior allocation. Instead of consistently changing the profit sharing ratios up and down, up and down, up and down, that's a bit more of a straightforward and sensible way of doing it. Often your ratios are set in the amount of work you do, factoring in that there's different weightings for admin and management and clinical sessions, etc. But like I say, if you do want to change your profit sharing ratio on a frequent basis, that's completely fine. Usually, practices try and keep it quarterly. So if there are any major changes, they change it at the end of the quarters. There aren't too many periods of time, but you know, a partner can leave or join at any time of the year. Yes, of course, the best time to join is the start of the accounting period, just for tax purposes and cleanliness in the accounts. But there is no real reason why you can't start halfway through the year. And I think lastly, the only additional information we might ask for is if you've got a property in the accounts and you have a mortgage account, or any bank loan statements. You know, we do ask for the bank statements as at the financial year end date, just to make sure the balance agrees with the software as well. Yeah, because like with any software, there can be glitches. And so we always ask just to review the year end statement for all bank accounts and for all loan accounts, just to check that the software figure agrees. Again, we aren't auditors. It's not for audit purposes. It's purely as just an additional check so that we are confident that all the balances we've got in our accounts match what was physically going in and out of the bank. It's just an additional exercise that we need to do. So whilst it might seem frustrating, oh, why do I need to download all my bank statements at the year end for you when you've got zero? It's just an additional check that we like to do. So we've given a list of all the information that we need to prepare the accounts. Now, this can be either sent to us via email or via our portal, or we can send a career out to collect the information. But the sooner we do receive all the information, the quicker we can sort of work on the accounts for you. And something else I will say, if you're a practice manager listening, really useful to try and nudge your partners when we come to do the practice accounts to ask them to send their personal expense information in either 
to you in the box of records or to be emailed over with the electronic records or just directly to their accounts manager or tax manager. The reason for this is because if we can do their personal expenses and their personal tax returns at the same time that we're doing the practice accounts, when the partner of the practice comes to present the meeting, we have already got everything ready to go for their tax returns. And in theory, we can come with very accurate estimates of their future tax liabilities, which people always want to know about in the accountancy meeting. And it means that once we've gone back to our office after the meeting, made any adjustments we need to that have arisen from the accountancy meeting, we can then finalize those partners' tax returns and you are done for another year. Obviously, that's the goal. And we know it's a struggle. And we know that you as practice managers don't have access to your partner's personal expenses, but anything that you can nudge them on would be really, really useful from us. So we've mentioned all the information we need, but one area that I know that PMs will probably struggle with is the income. I mean, like if you receive an income from the PCN and there's no description, no remittance advice, what do you do? So you can post it to other income, but you do need to chase up with the relevant source to find out what the income is for. So if it's from PCN, please do contact the PCN and ask them, what have you paid this this income for? Yeah, we went through a period of time, not so much recently, things I have found have got so much better, but sort of two to three years ago, it was so common for us to have in our practice accounts unknown enhanced services, whereby you would receive chunks of income on your monthly extra statements and you just wouldn't know what they were for. There was no one really to contact. And so it just had to be designated as, unknown enhanced service, which you know isn't ideal because realistically it would have been specific services that you should have been able to have been provided with the exact amounts you were achieving to work out whether the service is cost effective for the practice to run. You know, there's no point you offering a service if it's going to be losing you funding. Obviously you have to offer the services that you're required to, but additional extras that might lose you money, well then it's not in your practice interest to do so. Thank you, Katie. Some of the practice managers listening in will be thinking, oh my God, I've got a lot of information to provide. And I understand, you know, you're having a financial burden. And one way to get rid of this burden or stress would be maybe perhaps to outsource your payroll. Because I understand that, you know, you've got a lot of work to do on a daily basis. And the last thing on your mind is finance. So sometimes outsourcing payroll would ease the stress for the practice managers. Wouldn't you agree, Casey? Yeah, absolutely. And often external companies or external charges are high, but outsourcing payroll is a relatively cheap service, which can save hours of practice manager time. Now, of course, you still need to provide your outsourced payroll company with the information. And one thing I would say is to make sure when you have your staff, you have their monthly pay and their overtime. And you keep those two separate so that when you come to do your month end payroll run, you can tell your payroll provider, this is their basic salary. This was their overtime hours at their salaried rate, whatever the figure is, done. Where we find practice managers really struggle to do their payroll or outsource their payroll is when they have very, very complicated, this person did this many hours this month and they've asked for this extra work and that extra work. Keep it as straightforward as possible. We do really struggle with overtime and we do tell practices as much as they can, please avoid, if you can, paying overtime. Of course, if somebody's covering somebody when they're off, that's different. But just paying additional hours because a member of the team has come to you and said, I worked an extra hour, it can make it quite time consuming and quite costly. So just try and be aware when you're doing the payroll run to keep basic as the salary and to keep overtime as overtime. That will mean that you will be 
far more streamlined when you go to give over the information at the end of the month and it can make the process a lot easier. The payroll company will come back with the numbers you need to pay to each member of the team and how much you hand over to HMRC and to the pensions agency. And it's as straightforward as that. And this will take the pressure off the practice managers, I think, Katie. Yeah, it's such a time-consuming job. I mean, I spoke to somebody the other day who told me it often takes them over a day and a half to do their payroll at the end of the month. That is time that you could definitely save if you outsourced it, just because it doesn't take that long to pass over the information and then a provider can obviously collate all the data. Plus, the NHS pension is quite complex. And if you don't know exactly how to record the pension information correctly, there could be errors. So we always do say, if you're happy with it and you know what you're doing and you can do it quickly, fine. But if you find that it's a job that you're really struggling with, outsourcing it, yes, it's going to cost the practice more, but you will get that back in the time that you can then put into doing something else. And also it makes sure that they are paying the correct amount to HMRC and the pension is correct for the employees. So it's a good way as well. Yeah. And just as a practice manager, if you're listening, if you're unsure of anything and you think, oh, I've got a question, but I'm not sure if I can speak to the accountant about this, the answer is yes, of course you can. You can speak to the accounts manager. You can message the partner's tax manager. You can message any of the partners. We will be able to assist you. Obviously, if we can't, we'll tell you. But if there are any questions you have that you think would make your life easier or you just need some support or assistance, please know that we are available if you have any questions for us. And that's a good point to mention, Casey, because I find, because, you know, I prepare accounts for most of the practices and my direct contact is with a practice manager. And it's good because if you let them know what you want, then it's less stress and burden for them. You know, they're not having you pestering them every day or so for information. Yeah. And just being as organized as you can and keeping things as straightforward and simple. That's why we like Xero. We like the electronic software because you can have everything available. You can set yourselves up with budgeting functions. You can have a review during the year. This is where we expect it to be with our income. This is where we expect it to be with our costs. And you can compare and contrast where you thought you were going to be. And it just streamlines the process. We have noticed, obviously, your income is harder to get in with more of your money being paid through PCNs. If that's the direction it's going to go in, you at the practice are going to need to keep a tighter handle on when that money is coming back to you. And as I said earlier, sometimes money's going into the PCN and it's not coming out. So it's really important that you're keeping an eye on your finances. And I would always say, sitting down with one of the partners on a monthly basis, just to go through the payments, the receipts, just to double check everything and that there's always somebody else authorizing payments with you. So, you know, you've got two eyes on it, just checking the payroll at the end of the month, checking all your supplier bills at the end of the month. There won't really be that many, but just making sure there's another set of eyes to share the responsibility with you. That is one thing I would say. We know often the responsibility is put on the shoulders of the practice manager. And it is really important that one of the partners can also take some of that responsibility just to share it with you. I think that's really key. So that's why it's quite important that one of the partners does become a financial partner and helps the PM. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I think in terms of information that we need to do the accounts for practice managers, that's probably everything that we wanted to cover today. So thank you very much, Nisha. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe and join us again for our next episode. Thank you, Nisha. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You have been listening to RBP's Accountancy on Prescription podcast. 
updates, please visit www.rbp.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at RBPCA. The contents of this podcast is for general guidance and informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of advice. The information provided by RBP is of a general nature. Appropriate and tailored advice or independent research should be obtained before making any decisions. RBP does not accept any liability for any loss or damage which is incurred from you acting or not acting as a result of listening to Accountancy on Prescription.